0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace, so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Oh, the wonderful cross, the instrument of death and torture and shame the symbol of guilt, the symbol of horror. And yet it is wonderful because on it, the greatest, wisest, most loving, courageous man in the universe died in such a way so as to make people ordinary sinners His people, His chosen people, the ones of whom He would say now and for eternity, eternity, I am your God and you are my people. Lord Almighty, as we worship you this morning, I pray that you would enable us to see with clearer eyes what it is you have done in us and for us, So that we can proclaim, we can testify, we can witness to your excellencies that are better than anything money can buy on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever have one of those mornings? Get out of bed late. Kids don't get out of bed at all, of course. Your coffee pot isn't working. You forgot to change the oil on the weekend and now your car's low on gas. Drop off the kids, get to the parking lot, and at work that lady in HR who always is on your case gives you this dirty look. You rush in to your desk and you're sitting there and you realize oh, Starbucks is sitting in my car. Now your boss Calls you into his office and tells you something you forgot. Anybody with me on that one? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now it's 9:30. Your husband calls. He's how you doing? What do you want? You snap at him. He didn't deserve it. He didn't do anything to cause any problem. So what you do is you apologize and. You say something like, well, I don't know where that came from. But you do, don't you? You do know where that came from. So you apologize and you say, you realize that that instant jerk, knee-jerk reaction came from your own heart, from right inside your own chest. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, yes, you're going to have to say that five times today, said this about us. If only there were evil people somewhere, insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. That would be what we'd love, isn't it? But the reality The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. You can blame whatever you want for your frustration coming out. You can say whatever you want about it being a mistake or just messing up. But the truth is, is that you and I are the kinds of people who mess up. Amen? Amen? What you do comes from who you are, not the other way around. This is exactly what Jesus is telling us in Matthew chapter 12, where he says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. What is you do comes from who you are. So if it's true that you and I are the kinds of people that mess up, wait a minute, time out. Let's be honest with each other here just for a second. If you are the kinds of people, if you and I are the kinds of people that sin, right? How do we become the kind of people who sin Less. How do we become the quote-unquote good person Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 12, verse 35? How do you and I bring good treasure out of a good heart? Last Sunday, we began a two-week sermon series examining the foundational promise, the promise in Scripture on which all the other promises are based. And that is God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. The passage we looked at then was Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. And we saw the first half of this promise. And that is where God says, I will be your God. And as we developed this and looked at the passage, we related this idea, this promise to, to this truth, the bedrock truth of Christianity that you and I need to trust the promises of God for you in Christ. And when we do that, we will find that there is absolutely no reason to fear anything. If you missed that last week, I'm sure Kevin can set you up or you can go online. Right now, today, we're going to see the second half of that promise. And that is that you will be my people, God says. And we'll see that in First Peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. And this, by going through this, we'll find out how we can become the kind of people who can bring good treasure out of a good heart. But let's look at our passage today. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His Amen. Today we're going to find some answers from these two verses on how God's promise to make us his people relate to how to be the good person Jesus created us to be. And Peter will describe to us three things. And the first thing you'll do is who you are. And the answer is you are God's chosen people. The second one is what you do. And what we do as Christians is declare, proclaim, announce God's excellencies. What is it about God that is better than anything and everything else? And number three, why we do this. And we'll find out the reason why we do this is because you and I, as his chosen people, have received mercy. And because God has given us mercy, you and I can bring good treasure Out of a good heart. So let's look at our passage. We'll find the first point in your uh, notes today is that you are God's people. That's your first blank as you see it. And we get that out of 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter begins his description of who we are. Uh, those of us who are in Christ, by doing something very natural, exactly what we would expect. He quotes from several passages in the Old Testament. And the first and most important one here is in uh, Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's where he gets those two words there, kingdom of priests and holy nation. And then in verse Uh, Isaiah 43, 20 and 21, God gives uh, kind of two promises in one. He says, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. He makes impossible things happen to do what? To give drink to my chosen people. You ever feel like you're in the desert? You ever feel like it's just going to be impossible for me to be refreshed in this situation? God can make rivers in the desert for your soul because you are his chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself that they might, here's the point, that they might declare my praises. But the question is, is what do these phrases mean? If we break them down in the order that Peter has them, the first and the last of his praises or phrases are pointing to one reality, and then the middle two are pointing at another And you see that the first one is we're looking at a chosen race and a people for his own possession. You can see how those are basically saying the same thing with different words. And here we see that God intentionally, purposefully, decidedly chose a group of people to be his own. And in the Old Testament, we see God giving his sovereign grace, his absolute 100% control of everything, sovereign grace in choosing Israel from among all the nations of the world. And then in the New Testament, we see the same reality played out a little bit differently. And God in the New Testament chooses individuals and families from all the nations of the world. We see in both, God does the acting. God does the choosing. God does the making of a group of people who are no group. God's the man, so to speak. Thank you. I, I knew someone would laugh. I need, I need some more feedback here. Come on, guys. Uh, he is the one who is fulfilling his promise to make us a people. Then Peter calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And these two descriptions that Peter pulls out of our passages uh, describe what God wants his people to do, what he wants to make out of this group that he's assembled from all the nations. Now, there's two things you need to remember. The first is that a priest is someone who stands before God for people. A priest is there for the people so that they can communicate to God. And a prophet is one who stands in front of people for God. His point is is that now I'm communicating what God wants in any given situation. Now, in this particular case, Peter is declaring that our job description as a Christian is to be a nation, all of us, of royal priests. And our function as these priests is to bring this good treasure out of a good heart. That is what will prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are God's chosen people. And just by way of illustration of this, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, They will know you're my disciples by your love. This is just one of the ways that we see this being Um, demonstrated but then we need to ask the question you are a nation in what way a nation what is what is he getting at here in the same way that israel was a nation well christians don't have a land and we don't have a nationality or a race that we all belong to instead we are red and yellow black and white We are obviously not a nation in the sense that Israel was. So in what sense then could we as Christians now be called a nation? And that is really easy. The way it is is Christians are a holy nation in the sense that we serve one king. Now don't miss this point. This isn't a throwaway point. Because Christians are murdered, Christians are martyred, because we have one king way back in the days of rome christians were butchered not because they had strange beliefs because we have strange beliefs my goodness turn on your tv and you'll find all kinds of strange beliefs out there christians are murdered because we live like there is someone with more authority than the person standing in front of you with a machete Christians are persecuted because we live in such a way that there is someone with more authority than the pretty face on TV that tells you what car to buy or who to vote for. Fundamentally, my friends, the chosen people that God has made us to be is so that we will recognize that there is a higher authority than any other authority on earth. Including my own desires, my own affections, my own things that I want for myself. The first and biggest point about becoming the good person Jesus talks about in Matthew 12 is that we live as chosen people who know that there is an authority over every other authority on earth. He, Jesus, is the King of kings and Jesus is the Lord of lords. Oh, man, you got to say amen to that. Thank you. I need that. Come on, guys. Um, Do you want to be the person who brings good treasure out of a good heart? Then begin to recognize that God is fulfilling his promise to make you his people. Begin to live by God's authority and to start to weed out the things that offend him and transplant those things that please him. My friends, this is a lot simpler than we give it credit to be. Most of the time, you and I know the things that we're doing that displease him, don't we? But we don't have the courage to weed them out. Start to live like he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when you do, people will notice. They will ask you, What is up with that person? And then you'll be able to be God's witnesses. That's your second point. Your second point is that you are God's witnesses. And we find that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. That you pro- may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There it is. Now here's the heart of what we want to say today. This is really where the rubber meets the road. God does a lot of work in order to show us that he is fulfilling his promise to make us his people. And he does this work in us so that for the purpose that we may proclaim the excellencies of God. Peter calls us priests, and now, in the first part of this verse, and now he's describing us as having the job of a prophet, that is, proclaiming God's excellencies, telling people what God has done. Two things need to be noted in this verse. The first is the basic command that he says here, that you may proclaim. In the New Testament, there are several verbs that make this same general point. He tells us to proclaim, to evangelize, to preach, to witness, to announce. And all of these verses, all these verbs have the same general point, And that is that you and I need to be about building the kingdom of God by sharing the good news. The good news of at least the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There's more to it, but that's a big part of it right there announcing to people how great God is. Now, St. Francis is famous for saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. But I want you to consider, because I know most of you, if you've been around Sunday school long enough, have heard that. The point that Francis was making was an excellent point given the particular problem that was rampant in Christendom then. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but the culture we live in today is not primarily Christian. Anybody notice that, by the way? We don't live in a Christian culture anymore. Perhaps we forget St. Francis and the solution he gave to a problem entirely different than ours, and we pay attention to God's word, proclaiming the excellencies of him. of of god christians my friends are absolutely nothing if we are not a people with a message and since we are his people it is his message that we are to give and proclaiming anybody's message takes both words and deeds don't use the cop-out my friends don't use the cop-out that says oh i'll let my actions do the talking I tell you what, if your lips aren't talking about the good news, then I can promise you your deeds aren't either. But if you do one, you will do the other. Besides, we generally don't have a problem proclaiming the message of the excellencies of some football team or some baseball team or some new television show. If we spent the same amount of time learning about the excellencies of God, it would be that much easier for us to declare His excellencies. In fact, this is the second thing that we need to see in this verse, and that is the subject of what it is we're proclaiming, and that is God's excellencies that we see here. Now, fortunately for us, Peter gets very specific. When he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him— He then gives us an example of what it is that we are to proclaim. And the one example of the many excellencies of God is that he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For Peter, this is the most important thing that he can think of. Now, I've also been in church long enough to realize that for most of you who are long-term Sunday school alumni, some of you may have already forgotten what the darkness was that you were called out of. Some in here in fact have a slightly different problem, and that is we got saved, we received Jesus, we accepted his his pa- payment for our penalty. But we've never had the darkness removed from our hearts because we've never had our affections changed away from the world and to Jesus. I want to talk to us Christians here just for a second. You see, the darkness that still remains in our hearts, I'm, I'm pointing my fingers at me here, okay? Okay us Christians, the darkness that still remains in our hearts stays there and continues because we live with the same affections, the same desires that we had before we were Christians. Or worse, after we became Christians, we found some aspect of the world and we fell in love with that, and that becomes more important to us than spending time with the Lord and his people. One man who lived his life to help Christians escape this darkness said this. He said, The whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. Faith may now be exercised without a jar to the moral life and without embarrassment to the Adamic ego. Christ may be, quote-unquote, received without creating any special love for him in the soul of the receiver. That man is, quote-unquote, saved, but he is not hungry and thirsty for righteousness. My Christian brothers and sisters, do you ever feel that darkness that I'm talking about? It's a lack of of hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you want to escape the darkness of dead Christianity? Do you want to escape the darkness of a life that has only frustration and setbacks and fear of being found out as a poser of real Christianity? Then look no further than the command Jesus gives us to hunger and thirst after righteousness in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When you do, when you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, at that moment, you will know some of the excellencies of the one who brought you out of the kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. When you do begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will, just by being who you are, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of that darkness. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, instead of all the things of the world that we chase after, you will finally be truly satisfied and satisfied in a way that is fundamentally better than having your team win the national championship of whatever sport or your favorite singer winning on American Idol. Ultimately, the only thing worth living for, the only thing of value both for life as you live it, right now and life as you're preparing to live it in eternity the only thing worth living for is and proclaiming is not the newest restaurant car movie song the only thing worth proclaiming the only thing truly satisfying is God's excellencies the things that make God better than anything and everything on earth knowing and living and proclaiming these excellencies is how You and I go about bringing good treasure out of a good heart. Now we'll wrap this up fast with our third point. How do we know the excellencies we are to proclaim? We know them because we were given mercy. We find that in verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Being a member of God's people is to receive mercy. And this is, you've seen this before. Mercy is pretty easy to define. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Now, very often, obviously, these things are are related. But in this case, Peter is calling to our attention the fact that you and I have done nothing. There is in no conceivable way that we deserve to be called his people. And here's the bottom line. You and I have received mercy. We have become God's people, and therefore we are also able to proclaim God's excellencies. If you are sitting in this room right now, I imagine one of two things is true of you. One, you have experienced some of these excellencies and you have trusted your life to christ or two you're here because some family member wants you to be here or someone shamed you to be in here or you just like free coffee i don't know but the point is is if you are a christian you have at least one thing that you have noticed from god that is excellent that is wonderful And it's better than coffee. Trust me. I already had mine today. Tell someone about that. Tell someone today what excellency you have noticed. And if you've only seen one, start there. But because you have received mercy, therefore you can tell everyone around you what those mercies you have experienced are. And that, after all, is all that a witness is called to do is to bring mercy. And by doing that, you will bring good treasure out of a good heart. So question, which of God's excellencies do you experience on a daily basis? How can you make a habit of proclaiming them? These are questions that you and I ought to be answering today. Do that. Do it today by looking for great things. Looking to see what is out there that God is doing in and around you. And then tell others about what you are experiencing Find excellencies to proclaim in God's word. Make it a habit to tell one person at least one thing that you've seen in God's word that day. When you do that, you'll find yourself knowing God better and loving him and trusting him more. Two, find excellencies to proclaim in others that you know. See what God is doing in them and through them. And tell that person what you are seeing God do in them And through them. Because when you do, they will be encouraged to press on and you will be encouraged to see what God is doing in your own heart as well. And lastly, find excellencies to proclaim in God's creation. Oh my goodness, is that hard to do around here or what? Just look at the gorgeous oak trees or the absolutely stunning hills. Get on a bike and go ride because you will find plenty of excellencies. To give glory to God for. And then tell people about it. Because that is how you and I bring good treasure out of a good heart. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, we come because we are in desperate need of your Holy Spirit working out in us. So that we can notice, we can feel, we can sense. And then proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into a wonderful, magnificent, marvelous light. Help us to see and know you better so that we love you and trust you more and so that we can declare your great excellencies because you are worthy. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you, by God's grace, to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.